And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM and our wonderful and very appreciated community partners all the way across the country and in the United States. Uh, for all we know in Europe, there are people. I, I frequently find out that we are being played on stations after we've been played there for quite some time. So we could be on the moon for all we know, Stefan. The moon? Yes. The dark side of the moon? Absolutely. If there was going to be a side, it would clearly be the dark side. That's a good point. Uh, so you're listening to the Green Majority here on CIUT. This week, we've got a number of uh, a number of uh, things we're going to talk about today, uh, not least of which coming up, the lion's share of my commentary at the end of the show will be about election stuff. And we have a few news items, some of which are election related and some of which are not the slightest bit election related, uh, a mix that is intentional so that we just do not drown people with election constantly, despite its importance. What we're going to be talking about in the middle of the show is... Uh, Battery technology from the point of view of an economist, which is that uh, Tim Nash, uh, hearing that other people had been uh, getting repeated views on the show, had wanted to protect his title as the most frequent guest on The Green Majority. So he's down here with us today, Tim Nash, the sustainable economist, uh, friend and colleague from CSI, uh, who is going to talk to us about what's going on with battery technology and uh, companies like Tesla and what the real story is behind there. And uh, I think part of it, part of it for interest, but also we're going to get into why it's also important to know this information, especially uh, as an investor. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, in just a moment, we have uh, Chris White on the phone from Ottawa. Uh, Chris White is part of the, uh, he's uh, listed as the project coordinator uh, for a uh, crowdfunding campaign for Tony Turner. Tony Turner, of course, is the Canadian uh, Environment Canada scientist who is currently, I believe, still on paid leave. We will find uh, confirmation for that in just a moment uh, for writing the folk song Harbor Man, which was consequently then sung all over Canada in support of him. Um, the song is about, uh, well, we're going to hear the song as our first music break, so we'll, we'll get to that uh, in, in just a few minutes. But essentially, the song is uh, written is just a list of things that Tony Turner found objectionable about what the Harper government has been doing. Uh, and he, no surprise to us, got in trouble for it. Um, but I think what has been surprising is the incredible amount of support that he's garnered. So we will talk to Chris about that in a moment. Do we have Chris on the line? Yeah. Hi, right. Aaron. Thank you so much for joining us today, Chris. Oh, I'm happy to talk about this. And, you know, we love the Harper Man song, and it has resonated with people all across the country, as you were saying. Yeah, so we, uh, the, uh, the audio I'm going to play, we played the, the original recording uh, a few weeks back, um, and then we were encouraged to, th- through our Vote for the News initiative, to, uh, to do a little bit more, so we contacted you. We were hoping, uh, of course, to reach Tony, so maybe would you just simply start by uh, explaining your association with uh, this project, and then that would be a really good segue to, to uh, find out why we c- couldn't speak to Tony. Yeah, actually, it's a very interesting update as of about, let's see, well, just a few minutes ago, actually, is that it has been announced that Tony Turner has now officially retired from his government job as a researcher of migratory patterns of northern birds, <laughs> which apparently was a conflict of interest with <laughs> expressing dissatisfaction about some of the government actions in general. So anyway, he's retired, so now he's free, actually, to, to speak and to sing, as of about maybe 10 minutes ago. So that's, that's exciting news, because he has been silent for the last eight weeks now while being investigated for writing a folk song. <laughs> it seems somewhat ironic that he would be uh, really obviously silenced for a song complaining about, you know, sort of theoretical silencing. Um, but what do you think... 
What do you think about the sort of the reaction that this has had? I mean, obviously it was very popular. The the song got a lot of views. Do you do you think that this um, has sort of catalyzed? support for an alternative? Has this simply ca- uh, catalyzed a bunch of people who are dissatisfied with how this government is treating science and scientists? Uh, or or do you think that this was largely just sort of popular with the uh, already against the Harper crowd? I think what it's done is it's given a common meeting place and a touchstone for people all across the country at a grassroots level that have been dissatisfied with the way things have been going the last eight or nine years on all fronts and have not really had anybody articulate that in such an engaging and such a concise way. As you mentioned, the song is a list of some of the many destructive actions of this regime, as I call it, and it's it's a factual list. You notice that nobody has challenged any of the statements in the song because they're all easily verifiable. These are things that this regime has done on a number of fronts, social and environmental and on the world stage as well, that are not acceptable to ordinary ordinary Canadians who did not vote for that and do not agree that all of these values and all of these traditions should be sacrificed in the name of, well, we're not sure what. But <laughs> so, so yes, it, it really struck a chord, as we say, you know, to use a musical analogy. And it's really been wonderful to see the way people all across the country have responded. As you probably know, there were 50... Harperman sing-along on September 17th, including a thousand or so people on Parliament Hill, but 50 other locations across the country where ordinary citizens got together and said, we're going to sing this song, (laughs) and we're going to have a lot of fun doing it, and at the same time, we're going to make the point that at a grassroots level, there are a lot of things that are being ignored or attacked, and that we don't feel that this is appropriate for, as a direction for this country to go in. Well, and I think I think that's the thing I'd, I'd like to sort of put my finger on a little bit, which is that th- there's a line in the song uh, uh, specifically that's, you know, it's of course, this, the song is titled Harper Man, Not Conservative People. Um, and, it, you know, it says it's time for you to go. And, it, and it's uh, one of the things that's very interesting about it, uh, both in it, that it was written this way and also in that it's the reaction to it. Was it, this is very personal, and by personal I don't mean sort of personal offense, but this is not, and, and I don't think, it, I think it's fair to say it was not Tony's intention to say, you know, conservative people or right-wing people or politicians or all, you know, the conservative party forever and all time uh, is evil incarnate and we should do everything we can to stop them. It's no, this man's policies have been horrendous, and and we wish to see these policies stopped even if it, and and there isn't a preference sort of against another conservative politician that is less insane uh, coming in and sort of putting a hold on it. It's it really is despite the name of the song. It really is about a rejection of this rejection of science and rejection of fact and rejection of experts than it is about partisanship, despite how partisan it seems. Well, that's the thing. You know, I find it highly ironic that Tony was suspended and investigated for eight weeks for writing some a song that supposedly crossed some ethical guidelines. At the same time, the reality is this current regime, I mean, they've branded the government as the Harper government. Now talk about making it partisan. This regime has done everything they can to make the public service work in their favor and work on their campaign and <laughs> devote uh, you know, we're, uh, they're controlling the message completely from the conservative point of view, 
and at the same time telling an environmental scientist that he can't say that he doesn't like it, even in his private life as a singer-songwriter. So, yeah, it's all, the irony is very rich in terms of what happened to Tony and the fact that that's exactly what the song is talking about. It's talking about silencing individuals, not just government employees. As you probably know, all kinds of organizations are being silenced through the use of the Canadian Revenue Agency with threats of audits and defunding and taking away charitable status. So this is, it's a widespread problem of the, this regime controlling and silencing people and organizations and getting to the very fundamental level of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, freedom of assembly. So that's coming out, and it's coming out, again, at a very encouraging grassroots level where I'm very hopeful now that, especially with the strength of the Internet, where people can connect and bypass the uh, traditional media, and also community radio, too, right? You're here. These are channels where people can communicate what they really do want. And, you know, I, as much as Harper Man is a protest song, I find it also a very hopeful song, and people have responded to that all across the country, saying, okay, well, we can sing, we can dance, and maybe we can have a different vision than this bleak, fearful vision that keeps being fed to us by the party in power. So, it's, yeah, it's, it's just it's so beautiful to see the way people have responded. And right now, actually, for... October 17th, that's a Saturday coming up. Now the plan that's afoot is to have 250 communities across Canada all singing Harper Man that day. <laughs> I think it's a very effective uh, strategy um, uh, because, uh, of course, as you, I mentioned before, I went down and filmed the uh, the performance at uh, Toronto Queen's Park. It's on right. our, the homepage of our, our website right now. Um, and it is literally a brain worm. I cannot get that. I've been humming it all over the place for like a week and a half now. It's actually kind of driving me kind of nuts. Uh, but I, wanted, I just wanted to come back to something else you said here, um, just as we sort of wrap up. Um, which was the one key thing. So, so I went down and I, I filmed that. There was about um, maybe about forty singers, I'd say. There was about maybe another hundred people that were there. So there was up and around about one hundred and fifty people outside Queens Park for the filming. You're welcome to go and see it uh, for yourself if you like on our website. Um, but that was my number one takeaway. I, I haven't been to a, t- a ton of sort of public actiony stuff. It's only something I started really doing recently when we started doing video here, as well as the radio show. Um, but something really stood out for me, which was I have never seen so many pleasant, good mood, cheery, hopeful people <laughs> doing a song about how they really hate a politician and want him out of office. Like it was I have never seen such a positive, uh, uh, just wonderful, welcoming protesters, if that's even fair to call them at this point in my entire life ever hands down there has never been a, a group that sort of was more positive and i'm really hoping and uh, and i'd like to ask you maybe why you think that might be but i'm really hoping that this is the en- sort of energy that we can carry through because yes we have big challenges and yes we have big changes we need to be made but if we make them by sort of screaming at one another or by or by even just sort of not remembering that the o- the point whole point of doing this is to is to that because we want a better country and that's a good thing and we should we should promote the feelings that we want which is positivity and not hatred um, why, first of all, so why do you think that is, and, and how do you think it is? Why, why do you think this was the thing, that essentially, that seemed to pull people together? Yeah, that thing that you noticed, Darren, at Queen's Park, that is quite, that's the experience all across the country that people have had with this song, and that's, you know, that's the reason that it, it keeps re- resonating 
and uh, you know more activities are planned around this song just because it is so upbeat, positive, hopeful, joyful, as you said, and at the same time the content is pretty serious. But so it's a beautiful, brilliant combination that Tony Turner came up with there, and I just think, yeah, people want a positive vision. They don't want attack ads. They don't want fear mongering. They don't want us against them, which is what we're constantly being fed. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that positive view is very powerful. And, you know, as Pete Seeger has, has demonstrated to us time and time again, there is power in singing. There is power in music. And it can be used in a really positive way to create positive change. So I just wanted to encourage people to go to, first of all, go to harperman.ca for all kinds of updates. And you, you can see verses that people have written themselves to add on to the song. You can see videos that people have shot of themselves singing the song and so on. Beautiful website, harperman.ca, lots of information. Also, tonyturner.ca, because Tony is a full-fledged, wonderful musician who's about to release his third album. He's written all kinds of songs. This is only one of them. And then the other thing is, you know, people are saying, okay, so we're singing a song. How do we actually have a positive effect on October 19th? at the election, there are three things. One is to vote, of course. Another one is to get somebody else to vote that might not be voting, because low voter turnout is really a sad thing. It kind of indicates that people don't care. And in fact, we do care. So we've got to, we have to vote. We have to express that. And then the final thing is, the idea is now very uh, much in focus to vote strategically so that in certain writings, instead of you know, people splitting the vote and allowing the conservatives to stay in power, the idea would be to go to one of the strategic voting websites and find out how your vote can actually put an end to the direction that we're going in and get us back on a positive track in this country. Mm. And our our election-related fact of the day on that very point will be that there was twice as many people that did not vote last election as voted for the conservatives that put them into power. That right. is a amazing number, and uh, it really, really and says, yeah. yeah really. Especially when you look at the numbers for eligible voters under the age of 30, mm. that that is an area where there really needs to be a lot more engagement, not just this time around, but going forward into the future, because this is an ongoing struggle, you know, this is... This is uh, the underlying agenda that we're seeing right now is that it's all about the market and what it's doing is concentrating all the wealth and power into the hands of fewer and fewer people. And you, you can see that. That's what's happening. That's the result of these policies. That's the real result, as well as the destruction of all of these things that we value because they're not contributing supposedly to the bottom line. But in fact, there's a, a deeper bottom line for Canadians in general, and we value a lot of other things besides the economy. And those things are very important and vital to us. Those things are supporting one another. Those are social services. Those are our environment that we love (laughs) and we do not want to see it destroyed. And our relationships with other countries, our sense of inclusiveness, our sense of fairness, and our ability to express ourselves freely without fear of reprisals. Those are, you know, that's just a partial list, but these are things we do want. And I think it's important on October 19th to make sure that people are able 
to experience that and not live in an atmosphere of fear. Well, I think that's a really great uh, place to leave it for right there. So thank you much, so much for your time, Chris White, uh, the project coordinator with Harperman Sing Along Project. Thank you, Darren. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. Have a great day. All the best. Yeah. Bye now. So we're going to uh, go to our music break here, our first music break, which will actually be my recording of the live Harperman sing-along here at Queen's Park. Uh, but I wasn't sure if either of you guys had a, 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 some, anything you wanted to jump, jump in on, on that. We'll leave it for the next section. Tim's, Tim's getting ready for the next section. All right, so we'll leave it there for now. This was the live recording of Harperman from outside Queen's Park in Toronto. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, and we will be right back. Who controls our parliament? Harper Man, Harper Man. Who squashes our dissent? Harper Man, Harper Man. The Duffy handout incident. No respect for the environment. Harper Man, it's time for you to go. Who's the king of secrecy? Harper Man, Harper Man.
<laughs> All right, let's let's fade it. There. I could sing along the whole thing. If you'd like to see the video, there was uh, there was in fact a giant uh, a giant Harper. There was a, a a very tall. I don't even know what you'd call it. A, a costume mannequin. It's like nine feet tall with a big paper mache head or something. Oh yeah, those things. Those things. Uh, the big head guy. It's like the real life bobbles kind of. Except it wasn't bobbly. Uh, anyway, you're back here on the Green Majority on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners. This is also an excellent time to let people know about a couple things about the podcast, who is our third uh, stream of audience. So we, uh, we're we doing a brief after show these, uh, these days, which will be uh, not going out on air, but you can capture it on the website for now. And then at some point we will be uh, transitioning this directly into the podcast stream as well. But we have an after show called Texts with Dave. Yep. Have you received any texts from Dave yet? I have one. You have one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it is both somewhat for real and somewhat serious and about 50% that and about 50% This Dave question nonsense. is quite serious. This one is, is it a, quite serious? a serious question. Yeah. You never know what you're going to get with Text with Dave. So to check the website for that, if that's interesting. Uh, also, there is a bunch of changes to our show that are going to be happening. None that will be affecting you if you're a radio listener. That will not be uh, adjusted at all. But if you listen to us on any of our other platforms, please do check out the website. There's some very important information. Uh, things we're adding, things we're moving, things we're changing that you will want to know about. So greenmajority.ca for all that and more. And my final interruption before we go to Tim uh, is that I was uh, able to capture an all-candidates meeting that happened to include our temporary not co-host Kevin Farmer at it. Uh, I have clips of all of the candidates who showed up. Uh, three of four did. I will leave it to your imagination who did not show. Uh, but the topic of the conversation was climate and democracy. Mm. So use your imagination. Uh, we will be playing clips from that next week because it was an exceptional meeting. Very interesting. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more next week. So just stay tuned for that for now. But without further ado, record holder Tim Nash, welcome back to the Green Majority. Thanks so much. Happy to be here. Uh, do you want to first, uh, in case folks have... Uh, uh, forgotten. It's been a little while since we've had you in the studio. Sure. Will you please just tell us a little bit about your background, Tim? You are the sustainable economist. What yes. does that mean? Uh, sure. So uh, my background is that uh, I studied economics and philosophy for my undergrad and then did my master's in sustainability. That was in 2008. And uh, I graduated having done my thesis looking at the, the uh, connection between sustainability and profitability in the investment industry and graduated straight into the crash. So thus started sort of a, a bit of a journey. I guess it's been about seven years now uh, of various incarnations and, and really what I've landed on, a business model that works for me and that seems to be really working for my clients is that I teach people how to invest their own money online in socially responsible and green investment funds. And part of my approach is that I'm not willing to sacrifice financial performance. Mm -hmm. So I actually find a way, and a lot of it is through by lowering fees. So by sort of cutting out all of the greedy bankers that like to take your money along the way, by cutting them out, I actually, uh, my goal is to help people make more money while also making a difference uh, while they're saving for retirement. And and I see those two goals as, as really working in a sort of symbiotic relationship, that if we can uh, put our money to do good things and support good companies, it's actually going to grow even faster in the long term. Mm. So there's two quick comments I want to make about that before we get into our, our topic this week, which is sure. battery technology. One of them mm. was that uh, you've been, you do this both as, a, as an educator and as a business, and Correct. normally I wouldn't go out of my way to sound like I'm promoting someone's business, but it, I think it emphasizes a point to say that you've been doing well. Yeah. You've been very busy. Absolutely. And the, the underlying point there is not to promote you, although I'd be happy if people were interested to talk to you. Thank but you very much. More importantly, this is about the fact that the 
helping people make just as much or more money as they were before with their investments through something that is ethical and, and doesn't hurt our environment is not only possible, but it's booming. That yeah, was the point uh, absolutely. And, and booming might be a bit of a stretch, <laughs> right? Oh, it's, uh, you know, um, but I, uh, you know, really what I would say is it was probably about two, two and a half years ago that my first client came to me asking for a fossil fuel free portfolio and wanting to divest completely. And since that time, the divestment movement has gained so much momentum on the institutional level. Um, but then also when you just look at the really crappy financial performance with coal stocks being absolutely in the gutter, with oil stocks being a lot of them valued at about 50% of what they were two and a half years ago, uh, I think people are really catching on the, to the fact that unsustainable industries are not sustainable mm-hmm. and cannot sustain those profit uh, those profits and and are not going to sustain those financial returns to investors and as more people kind of are cluing in that wait a minute this isn't just about the environment this is an economic shift that is taking place uh, the smart money arguably has already started to shift away from those but it's the type of thing where a lot of people I think are are, are trying to hop on that boat and really want to move their money away from the unsustainable industries that are bound to collapse if not now, then sort of in the near term, and are really looking to, to park their money into uh, things that are going to promote uh, uh, sort of uh, social capital, human capital, and natural capital. So these would be things like community bonds. These would be things like microfinance, things like uh, renewable energy utilities, and what I'm here to talk about today, which are some really cool uh, global battery companies. Yeah. So let me let me set you up right there. Let's pretend for a moment that I had uh, some investable income. I don't. Okay. But let's say Uh-oh. that I had $5,000. And I come to you and I say, Tim, I've got $5,000. I want to invest it all in Tesla. And you're yeah. saying not so fast. No, Why? do not do that. Because uh, diversification is a core value of mine. <laughs> and so I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the term biomimicry, mm-hmm. but I love biomimicry. And so my goal is to design investment portfolios that mimic ecosystems. And if there's one thing I've learned about ecosystems is that they love diversification. So putting all of your money into one company, even if it is Tesla, is akin to like the Irish potato famine, Mm -hmm. where everybody planted one species of potato. And so as soon as that one species got sort of like a fungus and started to die, if anything were to happen to that one company you invested in, you would lose a lot of your money. So it's the type of thing where, for me, uh, I look at ecosystem principles, and I try to apply those to uh, modern portfolio theory. And one of the absolute core ones is diversification. So we're going to diversify as much as possible. And there's a second component, which that, which is the, the focus of the article that you wrote that we're going to uh, use as the basis of our discussion today, which was the other reason was that people are thinking, uh, oh, I'm, I'm really interested in this renewable energy thing. I'm really interested in renewable transportation. Tesla seems to be doing all this cool stuff, but the story is not quite that simple. Can you right. explain to us what, what is actually going on there? What's, why, why is not all as it seems? Sure. Well, so this is – so uh, I did a uh, – I'll preface by kind of giving the story for my research report. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, I've been doing this project called the Green Transition Scoreboard for a number of years now. I know I've been on the show probably one of the reasons I'm the title holder is because every six months we kind of pump out this report on the global green economy. And traditionally, we take a very broad scope. 
So I look at, I count literally trillions of dollars of private investments in the green economy, renewable energy, green construction, water infrastructure, take a very wide lens. Uh, with this report, we decided to do something a little bit different. And we decided to take a laser-like focus on a subsector that we deem to be uh, a missing piece of the puzzle, which right now, if we're serious about having a 100% renewable energy economy, we need better batteries. Simply put, we need energy storage. Right. And this is one of the big knocks whenever I'm sort of wading into the comment sections of some of these, you know, uh, newspaper articles about the green economy. It's always like, oh, you know, renewable energy, it's intermittent. You know, it's, it's inefficient. It's, you know, I hear all these things, but it, you know, it is true. I see that the sun does not shine 24 hours a day, that the wind does not blow all of the time. Um, therefore, if we're serious about having a 100% renewable energy economy, we need better batteries to be able to store that energy. Um, and so it got me thinking, which companies are putting the most money into R&D uh, for batteries, for energy storage? And the first company that popped up into my brain, and as I talked about it, into pretty much everyone else's brain, is Tesla. Uh, this announcement of their Powerwall, this home battery technology, right? Everyone wanted to talk to me about Tesla. And I started my research, and the first thing I started looking at was car companies. And that's when I learned very quickly that no car company actually makes their own batteries. They have a supply chain. And in the case of Tesla, they, their supplier of battery cells is Panasonic. So all of their cars are running off of Panasonic batteries. And even this new Powerwall technology, which, like, I was sold. I watched the, you know, the Elon Musk. Like, you know, the dude is as close to St Tony Stark as we're going to get, right? He is one of my personal superheroes. And, um, and he, you know, as he describes this brilliant new game-changing game technology of a home battery, you know, um, and what I've now since realized is that that is literally a Panasonic battery cell in a Tesla case. Mm. So, and it's a very brilliant business strategy. They're using the Tesla brand and the Tesla marketing and that sort of Tesla magic to be able to sell a Panasonic battery. Mm. Um, so, you know, that was probably the big surprise of my research. And Tesla's not the only company doing this. You know, all of the different car companies actually have suppliers. Uh, any company that is going towards uh, electric vehicles mm. actually depends on a supplier of their batteries. And that actually made my research quite a bit easier. I thought I was going to have to, you know, it was going to be hundreds of companies. It turns out it's roughly only about 30 to 32 publicly traded companies that are producing batteries in the world. Hmm. So very much is a concentrated industry. And it's the type of thing where if you want to invest in the growth of electric cars, but Tesla stock, it's crazy volatile. Like it's great. It's done well. But, you know, some of the underlying fundamentals are not super strong, make investors a little bit antsy. Well, maybe you might want to consider investing in their battery supplier, Panasonic, which if Tesla, you know, executes their business model and grows to the scale that they're hoping to, Panasonic is going to be uh, along for that ride and is also going to see uh, a high level of profitability. Well, and the other thing, which which are sort of two simultaneous segues, I love this, uh, is that the the other aspect there was that if 
Tesla does really well to the point that you, you know, Panasonic would also be doing well as their main supplier from one of the most in, uh, critical components, uh, is that likely that is going to be because the market itself has grown, which means that likely there will be other people, if, they have enough, if they're doing enough well, they're not going to stay the only company who's right. making tons and tons of electric vehicles. Other ones will jump in, which means more batteries. Right. And if you invest in Panasonic, now you're getting sort of, you potentially at least, more, you know, Tesla plus some other people, right. maybe, or something well, like that. Well, so it depends. There are different suppliers, so different, you know, there are a few different uh, battery companies. Um, so, you know, I can just sort of go through my list, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, on in the auto sector, uh, I know a big one is Johnson Controls, mm-hmm. which is a U.S. firm, and they're doing some things. Uh, I know LG Chem. So LG, that sort of, you know, I don't even know what the LG really stands for. I just know their branding of life's <laughs> good, right? But they've got this LG chem division, chemicals, that, that also makes lots of batteries. Um, and as well, uh, Samsung. Mm-hmm. You know, and this was another piece. Like, you know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm, and I'm uh, sorry, I'm an Apple kid right now. So I've got a lot of Apple products that I use for my electronics. Apple doesn't make batteries. I was like, oh, okay, that doesn't surprise me too much. You know, who do they buy them for? They buy them from Samsung. Mm-hmm. So actually, all of our Apple products are powered by, it's now, it's a division of Samsung. It's called Samsung SDI. Uh, right. So a separate publicly traded company. But still, it's kind of an interesting, you know, as you explore these things, it's not as clear as it seems that, you know, but actually, if Apple grows and sells more products, this division of Samsung is also going to grow and sell more batteries. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of an interesting one as as we sort of unpack the supply chain of these various companies. Let's talk for a minute about the other side of Elon Musk, which was, uh, well, I mean, we kind of got out of there for a minute, but just to direct you onto that point, which was, uh, I had somebody sort of ask me, somebody who's, they're, n- they're not anti-environmental. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even slander them by saying that they're, you know, s- the super conservative or anything like that. Right. They would be very offended if I said that. But they're, they're, they're several steps back towards the middle, let's say, from where I am. And, the, and so they love to sort of poke fun at me about, hey, what do you think about Elon Musk or whatever, knowing that they've You're got very some, pokeable. some, some, well, that is true. I, I, I do squeal when people yeah. poke me. So, um, but <laughs> the, the, so he, you know, he'll do that thing where, and he knows because he's got some factoid in his back, he thinks sure. he wants to, to pull on me be like, oh really? Well, what about this? And one of them was, was to pick on, you know, Elon Musk and be like, you know, he's not the superhero, blah, blah, blah. Look at all these problems with his things. Well, sure. I said, yeah, 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 yeah. The reason I like Elon Musk actually has nothing to do with those things. The thing is that he's actually, and, and I, I, I'm at risk of slandering uh, Elon Musk here by accident. I don't mean it this way, but he's almost pulling a Trump-like activity, which is that he is just branding the heck out of this stuff. Right. And everybody's going to benefit because he's doing essentially, well, I mean, and Apple did it in a very different way, essentially that they were just like, look how sexy this technology is. And he's getting the consumer base excited about it. And as an environmentalist, the the expression getting consumers excited to buy things kind of doesn't feel right. Okay. But in this context, I love it. Yeah, absolutely. As do I. And really, you know, for me, it's about motivating behavior. Right. And, and it's, you know, it was interesting for me seeing, you know, so the classic example from an environmental perspective was light bulbs. Like we had these incandescent light bulbs for how many decades or even like a century? I don't know, but like for a very long time. And then these CFL bulbs came out. Right. And it was like, okay, everyone replace it with CFLs, but they weren't, they weren't very sexy. And in fact, there is sort of some mercury inside, so they weren't even all that clean. And then within like a couple of years, it was right away into LEDs. Mm-hmm. And I'm the first, I, I think LEDs are very sexy. You know, one of my lines is that everything is better with LEDs. 
You know, especially at nighttime, we've got Nuit Blanche in Toronto this weekend. I'm hoping to see a lot of LED displays because they're they're very cool and they look awesome and they're great. And I think that, you know, that sort of sexy element, um, I mean, that sells. Element? Oh, oh <laughs> nice. That, sure. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure you didn't miss that one. Yeah, okay, great. Yeah, that was totally on purpose. Um, is that, uh, uh, but it, it, sexy sells. And so if we can if we can make renewable energy technologies sort of that much more attractive mm-hmm. to consumers um, and as well, you know, a big part of it is of is ease of use. But, you know, we've seen throughout history, it's often it's actually not the first company through the gate that gets all the sales. Mm-hmm. Right. So Apple, I mean, you know, we can talk about the iPod, but they were definitely not the first MP3 player, but they're the ones that made it sexy. And as a result, they're the ones that captured the market. Mm-hmm. Right. So for Tesla, it is quite a brilliant strategy. And they've got this amazing social capital and they've got this amazing brand recognition and the ability to excite. There are only a few CEOs that have this level of name recognition that Elon Musk does. So he's using it. And I say props to him. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to come out and this isn't a, a, a knock on him at all. I think it's brilliant what he's done, taking an existing technology and and and, and making it that much easier for consumers to buy in. I think that's uh, that's a really great spot. Also, to take another segue into our second and final music break. But I surprised that on you. Uh, would you make? Would you like to make any closing comments? Was there anything we skipped over on this topic before we move into break? No. All I would say is that uh, you know I think that for me batteries are a little bit of sort of the unsung hero of the renewable energy transformation. And it's part of this issue is that, you know, when, when I speak to people about green investments and green technologies, they think about renewable energy, you know, energy f- efficiency gets sort of some love from the nerds that are like, oh, megawatts are, you know, better than megawatts. And, you know, and there's a lot of that, but really there's not a lot of love for the batteries in the world. So, you know, for me, I guess my, my here is just to just, you know, next time, feel free to give your battery a little hug. <laughs> I think that's a great place to leave it. You're listening to The Green Majority. Just hearing from Tim Nash, a sustainable economist. He's going to be sticking around as we move into our news section, where we'll also hear a lot more from Stefan Hostetter, who's been uh, here very patiently as well in the studio. So without further ado, we're going to go to our second and final music break. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Place your blame and I'm 
Right, we're coming back. We're into the home stretch here on the Green Majority at CIUT 89.5 FM, one of our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country and into the U.S., as well as our fabulous online subscriber podcast or streaming audience. Uh, Neil, who is back on the air as our tech has uh, was off on away for a while, was with us, it was away and is now back. Uh, but I don't, we didn't actually used to do this before, so I don't know how we used to, the listeners are to your voice. But Neil, who is currently our tech, would you please tell us what we're listening to and maybe a fun fact about yourself? Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's good to be back. And uh, fun fact about myself... Um, I grew up in Prince George, B.C., northern B.C. There we go. Representing B.C. And uh, that song was Frazee Ford, a Vancouver artist who was uh, a member of the Be Good Tanyas, or Tanyas. Not sure how how you pronounce that. but um, (laughs) And the song was called Done. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Stefan, who's been here patiently both uh, uh, preparing for texts with Dave, <laughs> uh, also doing some social media for us, and has also chosen this week's top news. So would you kindly, Stefan, please now lead us in this week's top news? For sure. Uh, so I chose three. Um, you know, we do the vote for the news thing, but apparently I have slightly more power than the average viewer. I'm sorry, average viewers. Uh, as much as we would love uh, to have a straight-up democracy, uh, I still have slightly hey, hey, more power. The first interview was a direct result of vote for the news. I'm not saying it's not. I, I didn't say there wasn't some <laughs> democracy. I should also I, mention that we've had quite a few requests for uh, to talk more about uh, Mulcair's position on pipelines, which I just take this opportunity because you mentioned it to say we will be doing next week. Great. All right. Cool. So we are listening. So we, we do listen. I'm just saying that, you know, to some extent, I chose three things uh, that uh, that I think are interesting. So uh, if you if you like if you dislike all of them, you can you can continue to not send me tweets about turtles. Uh, I got one last <laughs> week. Uh, none this week Alex, so far. So that doesn't count. I know exactly. <laughs> Still doesn't count. I will get one. Um, I mean, sorry, Alex, you count. <laughs> Uh, okay, so the first piece of news uh, is just this week, uh, and now the, the X Prize, which X Prizes are a thing that sort of uh, they have they have them for a wide, vast variety of different things. Uh, but this week, just launched the, a, a Carbon X Prize, twenty million dollar global competition to develop breakthrough technologies that will convert CO two emissions from power plants and industrial facilities into valuable products. Uh, so this is an interesting approach. What I find interesting about this is it's, it's a, a, a very direct approach to try to get a price on carbon. Um, in that literally the question is well what if carbon was actually a valuable resource that people would pay to you know if, if we have an industrial facility that creates carbon what if people actually wanted to get some capture that and use it closing the loop exactly yeah. 
Um, and and so that's it's a twenty million dollar prize. Uh, it's just launched this week. Check them out uh, on Carbon Carbon X Prize. Uh, follow the hashtag or go to their website, which is just carbon.xprize.org, uh, and it has all the information there. It's very interesting. It has they're sort of looking at three different ways. Which I, I what I like about this prize to some extent is it's not just one of those things. They're just like do anything. They sort of they 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 hint at the direction that uh, that they're looking for, and I think what they're also doing is they're hinting at where I think technology might be showing up. Uh, which is that they're looking at ways to use this carbon for cement, uh, for alternative fuels, and then for actual things. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, can you imagine having the, they, they're, they're, the posters have sunglasses and bricks as the two main things? Mm-hmm. And I just think it'd be so cool to actually have sunglasses that were just pulled out of the sky. <laughs> like, you know, you just you you put like, sunglasses that are made out of carbon that was just pulled out of mm-hmm. uh, out uh, out of the sky. I think that's a super cool idea. Well, yeah. and and something, and this was just like conversational, so mm-hmm. it wasn't. It's not like a thing that's happening, but uh, the idea of using carbon as a direct input for 3d printers right so like it's not even just like some big ag you know big global corporation who can do this in some complicated futuristic factory maybe they do that to process it but then just to have it as a use of something that any person could literally turn into anything right i mean now we're talking whole new world that's it and you know i love this concept of waste equals food so i actually have some sunglasses that are coming in the mail soon uh that are made from recycled plastic of fishing nets uh from chile so these fishing nets that before would get out into the ocean and then sort of wreak havoc with all of your turtles <laughs> would uh, are now being processed and, and turned and uh, uh, made into other products. So I think that any time we have waste and we can turn it into food for another industry, um, you know, closing the loop on that cycle, uh, that, that's how we're going to build a sustainable economy. So I, we can't. Before we move on, I have one negative thing though All right. I want to say. There's, I have one I'm not so necessarily thrilled. Mm. I, I, well, it's a caution. It's a cautionary tale. I feel like I'm standing in for Kevin because he's not here today. Mm-hmm. Um, was just the idea that I, I had my, my first, I'll be honest with you, my first knee-jerk reaction was, oh, I'm not sure if I like this or not. Uh, and it was for the same reason that I'm that I'm not a fan of the Alberta government taking a whole bunch, some subsidies from fuel companies and putting them into carbon capture and storage technology, which was, I think we need to do this. I think it's undeniable that it needs to happen. I'm just concerned that people will be, like, oh, good, someone's working on it. Therefore, we don't need to do anything about climate change. Right. Um, and maybe that's just me, like, as I've been so conditioned to have that reaction i don't know but that was that was my only cautionary tale there was that we don't lose sight of the fact that this does not solve climate change it just helps us deal with uh, mitigation and it's part of a climate change strategy not necessarily the solution well and also the interesting thing of course is that it has to come on top of power of things already that, that are being heavily creating carbon yeah you know, the the, 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 the Right now, the only way they make this viable is to actually attach it to something that's creating a ton of carbon, mm. uh, and so it's not just pulling things out of the sky, uh, which would be the which would really would be the the one that actually if as soon as, if we can do that, then we're actually then we're really talking. Mm. This is a mitigation study to some extent than it is a, than it is anything else, um, but still. Uh, you know, anyone wants to give someone twenty million dollars to do to, to, to help us in any way? I will. I will take it and, and vouch for it. That's the kind of capitalism that I like, and it's the type of market control actually that I like, which is that you don't pick winners and losers. You just, but you give, but you also don't let just making profit be the only motive. And I think this is something that Tim and I talked about before the show. We didn't really get into the interview much, but it was just the idea of um, there's there's good and bad types of sort of regulation. And I think this is a this is the type of thing that I do like because you're creating a market signal, not through some complex 
contract system saying, we want something that does this, and here is your financial incentive right. set out ahead of time. Now just innovate. And what you tend to get is right. a, an interesting combination. This has been done for tons of things. Uh, this type of uh, prize where you just say, here's to the outcome, first one that get, does it gets 20 million bucks or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it means that you have big companies who are playing ball. It means that universities get in. Even if they don't necessarily think they're going to win, teachers start turning this into the grad project stuff. Yeah. It really gets everybody excited and thinking and being creative in a way that really doesn't happen when you only have profit being the only motive. And I think the other caution tale, of course, is that things of this nature have existed before. Uh, you know, uh, a great example is um, Richard Branson had a massive uh, had a massive competition for alternative fuels uh, that basically went nowhere. Right. Uh, but again, uh, it's it, perhaps the, I think the real question really is that at some point uh, when we've you know when each one of these prices encourage people to actually get into this sort of thing, and if we're going to find it, you have to keep giving people incentive to keep looking for it, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what this is the kind of thing is doing. Uh, so again, Carbon X Prize, if you want to check that out. Uh, second, uh, Shell abandons Alaska Alaska Arctic drilling. Uh, I mentioned this mostly as like a yay uh, something positive happened story. Uh, so we have two something positive happened stories this week. I think yeah. it's a personal. Um, and uh, it's uh, what's interesting about this is that it, it, it it's, it's one of those things where Shell will say that it's you know I love reading the business news on this because it's like oh we didn't find that much oil it was like kind of like it was wasn't that we, our, our testing didn't really turn out as well as we wanted it to uh, and then and then the other side of that is like and you faced incredible opposition yeah uh, like our, the Arctic drilling was perhaps one of the more is now one of the most successful <laughs> campaigns against sort of this kind of drilling especially uh, it's only in Alaska it's still happening in Canada uh, it's only Shell there's still other companies uh, so a lot of this has still there's so much going on. as a criminal side I did not know this I learned this last week um, there is oil drilling in the Great Lakes like there's just either. like yeah there's oil drilling in the Great Lakes um, and it's and, uh, uh, it might be natural gas, but there's there 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 are people pumping things out of the middle of the Great Lakes. Uh, there are there's offshore drilling in the Great Lakes, uh, wow. which is just a ridiculous thing I learned last week. Um, and no wind turbines. Uh, yes, yeah, so they're, they're an eyesore. Come on, Tim. <laughs> they're an eyesore. Uh, so, but anyways, back to the, the so Shell basically has claimed that uh, they didn't actually find enough. Uh, they're going to stop for the foreseeable future. Right. But of course, this is on the heels of a massive Greenpeace operation uh, yeah. to fight Arctic drilling. I think they hang, they hung people or people like just like came down and like yeah. were on uh, basically to block the massive ferries under ships. Yeah, we mentioned yeah. it briefly um, a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, they, they had they had an embargo of just of kayaks in front of it. Like yeah. talk about like civil disobedience to the nth degree. Right. Uh, to try to stop this sort of thing and cause them problems, and it, you can't you can't not give them uh, some kudos on on, on this decision because uh, I'm yeah. sure if this if this was an easy thing for them to be trying, there should be no incentive not to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the harder you make it, the harder they're going to do anything. Well, and that's and that's why the business papers aren't mentioning, I, in my opinion, why they're not mentioning the the activism component was because at some point all of the, the entire <laughs> sector doesn't want anyone to know that it works. <laughs> they don't right. want they don't want anyone seeing this as them caving to public pressure, lest people right. be emboldened to create more public pressure. So would they rather the business community think that it's unprofitable? <laughs> because that's kind of the other logical right. reason. Like, and, and for me, it's kind of a, a mix between the two. Mm. Obviously, it's very expensive to drill up there, mm. uh, very harsh, and, and the labor costs are excessive because you have to pay a lot of money, people a lot of money to do that. And with the low price of oil right now, you know that sort of risk-return uh, calculation probably isn't going in their favor. Now you add on top of it the social costs – 
of, you know, having to deal with all these protesters and the, the added PR expenses and, you know, everything involved in that. And it's to me, that's what pushed them over the edge, mm-hmm. that when they did that sort of financial cost plus social cost, that it did not equal enough, um, you know, in terms of the expected revenues. Yeah. But they, I, I think they spent about $8 billion Seven up there. Billion Seven billion. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so that's now considered a sunk cost. Yeah. And it's just, it's gone. And this is the type of thing that I'm looking at with a lot of this uh, uh, fossil fuel infrastructure with pipelines and with all these different, like any new facilities that are being built right now. I think there's a good chance that this is this is a signal of one of the first major projects to get abandoned. But um, my prediction is that this will not be the last, that we're going to see other multi-billion dollar projects get completely abandoned. Yeah. Uh, and which uh, you know, is good news for us and bad news for them. Yeah. Uh, the final, to, you know, because we're not allowed to be all happy on this show, uh, just to warn you. Uh, we're not allowed, every single one of these stories can't be positive. Uh, in because, <laughs> we have a quota. Yeah, we have a quota, exactly. <laughs> uh, Try me, I'll find a sil- silver lining. On this one? Okay. Well, let's, let's go uh, for it. Okay, uh, so this one is um, that the a, um, a report has come out, or a, com- a former commissioner of Elections Canada has come out basically saying th- whose report was actually used as the conservative argument for why they should institute uh, the quote-unquote Fair Elections Act. Uh-oh. Uh, that it would could support... So they used this guy's actual information to then claim it's necessary. Now he's coming back and saying, that's not what that's not what I meant. Like that's not <laughs> oh, what I was wow. saying. Uh, and to the extent that it could it could disenfranchise up to half a million voters. Right. Uh, and I think this is, to me, this is I want to mention this largely because we just it's it's amazing. I, I've like I've personally found it harder to vote this time. Like mm-hmm. I, I had to spend a bunch yeah. of time trying to figure out if I could vote. I'm still not 100 percent if I can. I did everything I possibly could to figure it out. I signed up for it. I still haven't got the voter registration card. And honestly, I I could easily still show up at the vote the polling and not be able to vote. And the idea that Harper has now gone to this thing. I, I, I tweeted about this a couple days ago, and I I'm still on it. Harper has decided that he has. Harper has decided he's going to win 31 percent of the vote. Yes, he's decided he's going to scare his base as much as he can he's given up on literally everyone else yeah he's going to win 31 percent of the vote and try to get them out and nothing else matters yeah uh and so so the fact that we have an elect a quote-unquote fair election jack that he brought in that could turn away 50 like 500,000 people and he's got a bunch of people who've like the heart conservative base have the easiest time to vote because they're not moving around right right? the people that makes it harder to vote are the people who are settled in their spaces yeah uh it's just if it's just that if ever I, I, and I wish I had better answers of how to really do more uh, because it's just unconscionable that they have a chance of winning because so many voters who you know are students or have moved a lot or you know have uh, you know are, are new are, are newly immigrated so they've they're, they're starting to settle in Canada that they cannot find a way to actually get their voice heard and so we're going to lose. Uh, this election is just unconscionable. Well, and I think the the answer there is the thing that I pulled out that I mentioned yesterday, uh, uh, earlier in the show, which was that there's twice as many people who didn't vote as voted to elect the Conservatives into a majority government. So the the thing here is that, I mean, people always say this, but here is the thing. If you do not do this, you do not get to cry bloody murder after the election, which is go and talk to your friends, get people together, to go with people to vote together. You have to actually get people out there, and it's up to every single person who's listening to this broadcast to get make 
sure that every single person that they know goes and votes, not to tell them who so, to vote for, but to get them to do it. So I'll add two things. The first is that, you know, I, I hate all of this obsession with Election Day, sort of October 19th. Go to the advance polls. Mm. Vote so now. Stem, yeah, vote <laughs> like do it now. And that way, if you do run into a problem, not a big deal. As well, understand that um, uh, that if you don't have the right materials or whatever, don't wait until the last minute to vote. Do it now. That way you can understand the rules and come back and go back tomorrow where there's another advance poll and do it again. The other point that I've got is that in this election, it's not enough just to vote. So for all of us who normally vote and say we do our duty by voting, we have to do more. Right. Uh, one of my favorite organizations is Lead Now with their hashtag Vote Together campaign, uh, running a little fundraiser at CSI Annex tonight. So if you're in Toronto, you can come by. If not, please look at strategic voting. Please look at doing something else. All right. And that is, no, that was, that was perfectly on time because we are, in fact, out of time. Can I have a, a go vote altogether? One, two, three. Go, go vote! vote.